0: you've got your Bible with you this morning, I encourage you to open up the book of Jonah. It's in the Old Testament. It's uh, towards the back end of it. Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah. If you're not sure, you know, there's nothing wrong with using the table of contents. Open up the front page and find the page number. But if you've got your Bible, I encourage you to turn to the book of Jonah. Last week we talked about how to handle unexpected storms. Anybody ever had an unexpected storm in their life? Something happened and uh, you were completely blown away by it, did not know, did not see it coming? And we talked about what to do. And today we're going to consider what to do when you cause the storm. Because the truth is, sometimes we are the storm causers. We're the ones who bring it upon ourselves. While you're looking for Jonah, I'm going to tell you a story about a friend of mine. Uh, his, his, um, we won't hit, well, we'll call him Bill. It's not his real name. But um, Bill was a tax attorney. Had a firm, fairly prestigious firm, in uh, Southern California when I lived down there. And uh, Bill used to do my taxes every year for free, which is a good deal. And he would come... And, uh, you know, take all my stuff and put it all together. It didn't charge me a dime to do it. And for the three or four years they did my taxes, I got some pretty stinking good returns, which, is, which was cool. I liked that part. Um, but then I got a notice in the mail one day that I was being audited by the IRS. And at the time, I w- it, saw it as more of a bother than anything to really be worried about. Because honestly, as far as I was concerned, you know, my taxes were on the up and up. And I'd done everything I could to be honest and legal about it. And so... Uh, I end up at the tax office. The auditor's there, and he asks me all the normal preliminary questions. Blah blah blah, and uh, you know they're very—if you work for the IRS and you're here, don't take this personal—but they're very cold. They are not—they're not people. People, you know what I mean? They don't give people that job because they're real friendly and and uh, just these little otters who are smiling all the time. So anyway, yeah, I'm with—I'm with this guy, and he's making me a little uncomfortable. And then he goes out of their room, and he pulls in two other guys, and I got three guys in there, and they are grilling me. I mean, I am being asked stuff that I had no idea where they were coming from and what they meant, and a lot of the questions were about my friend and his tax firm, uh, his, his, his firm, his business, and I didn't know the answer, and I had no idea what was going on. Well, come to find out that uh, my friend, the one who would being investigated, uh, he uh, had uh, was being investigated for, I think, tax fraud is what they call it, because uh, many, most of the clients that he had, and again, it was a pretty prestigious firm with lots of high-rolling clients, a lot of big-buck people in his firm, uh, clients. And uh, he was being investigated for uh, helping them cheat the IRS out of tens and tens of thousands of dollars. And so he was in hot water, and again, I did not really understand that at the time. But the bottom line of the story is that Bill lost his license and went to jail, was actually thrown in jail and spent a couple, two, three years in jail because of what he did. Now, the moral of the story is this. Ready? It's really deep. Sometimes we're, you know, the unexpected recipients of unwarranted storms. They just happen through no fault of our own. However, sometimes we are the reason and the cause for the predicament that we find ourselves in. Bill got busted and he lost everything because of the choices that he made. He brought that storm into his life. The forecast in your outline this morning, if you want to follow along, says this. Just as no one lives a storm-free existence, we talked about that last week, Sooner or later, if you're not in a storm now, you will be, because they just come. It's a part of life. But just as no one lives a storm-free existence, we also share this in common. Sometimes we cause the storms in our lives. And this isn't easy to admit. I've never met anybody that really likes to admit that they're the storm causer. Uh, I'm pretty good at denial and blame-shifting. Anyone else? I, yeah, okay, a couple of you are honest. I mean, I'm perfect. I'm really good at it. It wasn't me. It's not my fault. He did, she did, they did, you know, or being in denial. I don't know where this came from, Lord. It's not me. It couldn't be me. And so, by nature, we're pretty good at denial and blame shifting. And so, it's not easy to admit when we're the source of the storm. But here's the simple truth sometimes it's me, sometimes the storm is my doing. And that's why I love the story of Jonah. I love this story. We're going to take a look at part of it today. But I love it because it's so real. It's so honest and so like us at times. Because sometimes we cause the storms. Let's pick it up. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Let me pause there and say, Nineveh was uh, the, one of the capital cities, one of the major cities of a nation called Assyria. And the Assyrians were pagan, very vile, the, the, the arch enemies of Israel. Jonah's an Israelite. He's a prophet in Israel. And God comes to him and says, dude, I want you to go to Nineveh. Not a place that he would want to go. Verse 3, but Jonah ran away from the Lord. And headed for Tarshish. Isn't that kind of a fun word? Tarshish. Anyhow, headed for Tarshish. And he went down to Joppa, which is on the coast. He found a a ship bound for that port. Now, most think that Tarshish is on the the coast of Spain. So that's where he's headed. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Verse 4. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. And such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo in the sea to lighten the ship. So they're jettisoned, you know, getting rid of everything. Get rid of all the stuff because we're going to die. We need to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us and, he will, and we will not perish. Verse 7, then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Now, let me explain that. Casting lots, typically they would use dice and the uh the colors on the dice alternated between dark and light and they would, you know, throw the dice and it was used, it was a a very common in that time to use to determine either the will of God, you know, or their god's or to determine who was guilty. And so they're trying to figure out somebody on this boat's the cause of that. They figure that much out and they're throwing dice to figure out who it is. Okay, verse 8, so they ask him, because it fell on Jonah. Jonah, you're the guy. So they ask him, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew and worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. You know, this ocean that's all messed up. My God made it. Verse 10, this terrified them and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he'd already told them so. Funny, huh? He'd already said, I'm I'm out of here. I'm leaving God. Put me on the boat. Let's go. Verse 11, the sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? Verse 12, pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. So Jonah's answer is just chuck me. Throw me over with the cargo. Verse 13, instead, the men did their best to row back to land. They didn't want to because they knew that was certain death for Jonah. But they could not, for the sea grew even wilder before them. They cried out to the Lord. Now they're crying out to the Lord of Jonah. Oh, Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Guess what they're about to do. We're going to do this, God, but please don't hold us accountable for this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, oh, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard. Can you see the picture of this? And Jonah's not even fighting at this point. I don't think he, you know, he's not, he's not trying to get out of this. They grabbed him, one, two, three, into the water he goes. And the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord. You would too. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. Uh, The story often is told that it's a whale. We don't know what species of great fish it is. Uh, I Here, let me just put, you know, whatever it is, it's a miracle, okay? It's a supernatural. God could have created that one fish for that one occasion just to swallow up Jonah because Jonah was in the belly of that fish for three days and three nights and survived. So the point here is that God provided a miracle to spare this guy's life. Now, through Jonah's experience, and quite honestly, through my own life and through the lives of many others that I've seen, You can find some common traits and some common causes to most of the storms we create. There's some commonalities here that you can see as you look at this story. And so let's look at some storm patterns. Three things that got Jonah where he ended up. Number one, conflict. First storm pattern, conflict. At the heart of every storm is conflict. Write it down if you're taking notes because, man, this is so true. At the heart of every storm is conflict. It may be conflict with God. Conflict with others, or even conflict with yourself. But being in conflict is the single greatest common denominator to every self induced storm. Now, you know, sometimes they just come and they're not our fault. That's not what we're talking about. But to every self induced storm, the single greatest common denominator is conflict. Look at verse 1 again. The word of the Lord came to Jonah go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. Verse 3 But Jonah ran away from God, he ran away from the Lord. Jonah had conflict with God. He found, we found it later in the story in chapter 4. You can read it later. Don't read it now. But in chapter 4, verse 1 and 2, that Jonah knew that if the Ninevites re- repented, that God would forgive them. And he didn't want God to forgive them. And so his first source of conflict is, God, I know you, and I don't like what you're planning on doing. And so he had conflict with God. He had conflict with the Ninevites. Big time conflict. Remember, they were the arch enemies. Pagan arch enemies of Israel. And he didn't want them to experience anything but destruction. And I think Jonah had a lot of internal conflict going on as well. He didn't want to be the prophet of God unless it was on his terms. And boy, does that make me a little nervous because been there, done that. I'll do what you want, God, but it's got to be on my terms, not yours. And Jonah had this internal conflict. Nineveh was hundreds of miles east of Palestine. It would have been a long journey. He didn't just jump on a plane or in a, you know SUV and drive there. Hundreds of miles east of Palestine. Guess where he went? Hundreds of miles west. The due opposite direction. He didn't even go near there. He just got in a boat and went the opposite direction from what God had asked him to do. The point there is that Jonah didn't just casually decline. He bluntly refused. He bluntly refused. And I'm going to tell you today, And this is not to make you nervous or to make you uneasy, but a truth we've got to deal with. When you refuse God's way, you're headed for trouble. Been there, done that. When you refuse God's way, you're headed for trouble. Here's a little insight we would do well to remember. Conflict with God always puts us in a storm. Always. I wish I'd learned that a lot earlier in my life. The conflict with God always puts us in a storm. And by the way, let me quickly say this. It's, it's a storm that doesn't come because God's mad at us. He doesn't send the storm because He's seeking to punish us. It's because He loves you. Because He loves us. He disciplines us for our good. That storm is an act of God's grace, even though we don't necessarily see it that way at first. Proverbs 3, 11 and 12 says, My son, my daughter, do not despise the Lord's discipline. And do not resent His rebuke, because the Lord disciplines those He loves. Don't resent it, don't despise it, because it is an act of God's love. As a father, the son, He delights in. God disciplines us because He loves us. We are at times the cause of the storm, but the storm's purpose is not to destroy us. It is to correct us, to help us get back on track with God. And a wise person will face this reality. The earlier we figure that out, the better we'll be. And we'll learn from the storms. Proverbs 12:1 says, Whoever loves discipline, loves knowledge. But he who hates correction is stupid. I like the Bible. I just love it, yeah. I mean it's just so here it is, guys. Whoever loves discipline, whoever gets that this is for my good, it's because it's going to help me grow, loves knowledge. But whoever hates correction is just plain dumb. You see, like I've said before, I've said this before, and I want you to hear it again. Sin makes us stupid. It makes us stupid. It makes you dim, dense, and dull of heart. Where did Jonah end up next? First he runs from God, and then where does he end up? He ends up on the bottom of the boat, sound asleep and clueless. Look at verse 4 again. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. Well, look at it. But Jonah had gone below deck where he did, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. And the captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Jonah's conflict led to the second storm pattern we'll consider today. Number two, complacency. His conflict led him to this place of complacency. Jonah had become dull of heart. He didn't care about God, about the Ninevites, or about himself. Do you see that? Why do you go to the bottom of that boat and go to sleep? Because he didn't give a rip. He'd, he'd grown complacent, cold, dull of heart. He checked out. He became smug and uncaring as he posted that do not disturb sign on his door and fell asleep. And there's this huge storm raging. Ever tried to, you know, I've been on a boat in rough water. <laughs> Hard to sleep, especially when you're using the little bags again. It's, it's tough. And he's in the bottom of this thing and it's all over the water. The boat and everyone in it's a great risk. And even the captain is amazed at Jonah's attitude. Man, how can you sleep during this? But have you ever noticed when someone is in conflict with God or conflict with others or conflict with themselves that they typically go from this passionate emotion like anger to a detached coldness? Ever seen that before? You know, at first they're ticked off, they're angry. When Jonah was, you know, ran from the Lord, he he was he was ticked. He was passionately upset, mad at God. No way, I'm out of here. And, and so we have this passion emotion. But often what that leads to then is this detached coldness. After a while, you just stop caring. You don't face the reality of what's been created. You don't take responsibility for your actions, for the condition you're in. And so you just zone out. And I see it, man, I've seen it a hundred times, a thousand times in the last 25, 30 years of doing this with people in church. They just get to the place where they zone out. They just check out. They isolate and insulate themselves from any meaningful connection with other people. They talk about community, you know, they don't want to talk about community or about family or about connection or relationships with other. It just makes them mad. I have a dear friend who lives in Portland. Went to school with this guy years ago. And uh, he is in right now um, this huge storm. And he's the cause of it. He has a long history of making a lot of poor decisions. And they finally caught up with him. And he's in this massive relational and financial storm. And it's of hurricane proportions right now in his life. His wife has left him. He's lost his job. His health is horrible. And uh, by his own admission, he's absolutely miserable but you know what breaks my heart is that he's mad at all the wrong people He's mad at God he's mad at others and he hasn't taken responsibility he hasn't seen he hasn't acknowledged that by his own choice he's ended up where he's ended up Jonah not only ran from God he ran from everything he'd known and everybody he knew he ran Not just from God, but from everything and everyone. And that choice led to the final storm pattern in his life. Number three, confusion. Confusion. Verse 11, the sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they ask him, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? And he replies, "Now, does anybody else find this just a little bizarre? Pick me up and throw me over. And it'll become calm, it'll take care of it. I know that it's my fault and that this great storm that this great storm has come upon you. Jonah's answer to the question, "What should we do is kill me?" He just, I, that's his solution. I'm, I am so beyond this right now. I'm not angry with God. I, I'm angry with God, and I'm complacent, I don't care anymore. In fact, I don't care anymore so much that my response is, "Just take me. out. just kill me." He knew he'd caused the storm. that's clear here. He knew that, that uh, he was the source. He got that part right. But I can assure you, listen to me, I can assure you of this, death was not the answer. That was not God's plan. God still had a mission for Jonah. Tens of thousands, at least 120,000, if you read later on in the book, of Ninevites still needed to hear about God. And so God was not done with this guy, but from Jonah's view, from his perspective, he was so messed up that instead of confessing. I mean, if I'm on the deck of that boat and I realize we're all going down and I'm the cause of it, a smart guy is going to do what? Oh God, please forgive me. Here I am. I've blown it again. I'm the cause. I'm the source. Forgive me. That's the proper response. That's the response that says to God, I know, I get it, and I'm coming back to you. But Jonah's so confused, so messed up in his thinking, in his perspective, what does he do? It's suicidal. <laughs> Just kill me. Just take me out. Talk about confusion. Here's the dictionary definition of confusion. I looked it up. It's great. Ready? It's a mental state characterized by a lack of clear and orderly thought and behavior. A mental state characterized by a lack of clear and orderly thought and behavior. Jonah was very unclear in his thought and his behavior. Kind of like I am when I'm trying to read directions to put something together. I don't know who writes those things, and I don't understand why they're supposed to be simple, and yet they are. Anybody else have a problem with directions? And it's like there's always one part they leave out, you know? They list all these parts and stuff, or there's one step that's very confusing. And I get to that, and I go, what does that mean, and how does this work? I mean, I'm, conf- I'm confused whenever, I'm, for years, when my kids were little, and I'd get stuff, and we'd put it together on Christmas Day, I made them put it together. And believe me, they wanted to. No, Dad, don't touch that. I'll do it. I'll do it. Confusion. He's confused. Now, we know in hindsight, that, in hindsight that Jonah did end up from the belly of that fish turning to God. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But you've got to understand that the fish was plan B. It was plan B. And the result of Jonah's refus- refusal, right up to the point of being thrown overboard, he still was not willing to admit that God was right and he was wrong. Here's a question for you. Ready? Why are we sometimes so stubborn? Don't answer out loud. But why? Why are we so stubborn? Why do we tend to fight God so hard? Conflict leads to complacency. Complacency often leads to confusion. In the cold darkness of our soul, we lose perspective. And we become stupid. Stupid. <laughs> And that stupidness, that stupidity leads to a foolishness, to an act that's far from what God intends or what He wants. Jonah's answer, just kill me. Just throw me overboard. But that's not the answer. The only part of you that God wants dead is your pride. Can I just make that really clear? That's not, you know, oh man, just take me out, God. I'm just a mess. The only part of you God wants dead is your pride. His plan for you is life and life to the max. Abundant, full life. But we often... Even in that moment of, of awareness that we're the cause, still fight. So what do we do? What does it take to calm the self-induced storms of life? Well, it's pretty simple, and I'm going to cover it briefly. Look at Jonah chapter 2, verse 1. From inside the fish. Man, I'm thinking that's not a good place to be. Anybody else? From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help and you listened to my cry. Skip down to verse 7. When my life was ebbing away, can you imagine? Going down the water, seaweed, it's dark, it's cold. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you. Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Verse 9 says, But I, with a a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Another beautiful picture, huh? Fish stuff all over him. In fact, some think that when he went later on to Nineveh and did what God asked him to do and had some problem with sun and, and the Lord brought a plant, that it was because he was probably bleached out three days in the belly of a fish. Could uh, could could make your skin a little your your skin a little sensitive to sun, but here he is laying on the shore. You know he's, you know, a mess. But what did it take to calm the storm? Well, the bottom statement of your outline says this: the way to stop the self-induced storms of life is to realize the truth, remember the Lord, and return to His plan and purpose. Realize the truth. Realize what's going on, and what happened, and why. Remember. The Lord. And I love here that, that Jonas remembers God, that He's a good God and kind. Remember the Lord and then return to His plan and His purpose. You know, there's another R word and one word that, that describes what I've just talked about. It's the word repentance. And it's a word that some of us don't like to hear. We think, it's, you know, we think of the guy with the sign, you know, repent or die. And so we have these negative emotions, but it's actually a very positive word. It means to realize the truth, remember God, and return. Return to His plan. Return to His purpose. When Jonah hit that water, reality hit him. Ever been thrown in cold water? You know, You know. and I think in that moment, something, they threw me in the water. I'm going to drown. I'm going to die. When they threw him in that thing, you know, the, the reality of what happened just hit him. And inside the belly of that fish, something happened inside of Jonah. In his distress, he called for help. He cried out to God. He realized, I've been a blithering idiot. This is not good. And I don't want to stay here. And then, I love this. Then he remembered the Lord. He remembered that God is good, merciful, and kind. Can I just say something? And and boy, we need to get this. Sometimes we focus on our failures. We dwell there. And yet, part of what I'm suggesting we need to do is to admit I have sinned, I've blown it, I've failed. That is the first step towards salvation always. I've got to come to this place where I humbly admit, I've done it again, Lord. Here I am. I've failed. I've blown it. I've I've sinned. But don't dwell there. Admit it and then focus on the goodness of God. Don't stay landed on that, woe is me, I'm such an idiot thing, but Turn from that to remember, just like Jonah did, to remember the goodness and the mercy and the kindness of God. And from that place, finally he made the choice to humble himself and return to his God given assignment and destiny. He said in verse nine, I, I love this, he said, with a song of thanksgiving, I will sacrifice. Do you see the choice there? I will I'm gonna sacrifice to you, Lord. What I have vowed, vowed, I will make good. Jonah made a choice to return. A choice of his will. I will. I will sacrifice to you. I will follow you. I will make good my vows to you. He chose to sacrifice his arrogance, his stubbornness, and his pride. He chose to sacrifice what he wanted. And he had strong feelings about it. Remember that. And he chose to obey God. You know, like I said at the beginning, I love this story of Jonah because it's so Like us. Is it like anybody else here besides me today? So like us. Most of us, if not all of us, have created conflict. We've been angry and mad at God, or angry and mad at other people, or angry and mad at ourselves. We have this conflict which leads to a storm which hardens our hearts, which only confuses us all the more about what to do. Until at some point, there, is a, there always is, always is, this moment where you can choose. Am I going to continue to live in denial and reject God? Or am I going to understand there's a choice right here? and Am I going to choose Him? The violent storm that battered that ship had a supernatural origin, but an all too natural cause. And one that most of us can relate to. C.S. Lewis put it this way. God whispers to us in our health and prosperity. But being hard of hearing, we often fail to hear God's voice in both. It's then that God turns up the amplifier by means of suffering. Then his voice booms. You see, God loves you. He loves me. And he wants the best for you. And so the storms come not to harm you but to heal you. Not to hurt you but to help you. Are you in a storm right now? And is it a self-induced storm? Have you been the cause of it? Just admit it. Remember God and then come back, come home. Choose Him. One more story and I'm done. But I've talked about my dad lots of times before. But by the time my dad was 55 years old, 55, just about six years older than I am now, he'd lost everything. He was a recovering alcoholic and a prescription drug abuser. Actually been through detox at least twice by that point. He'd been married and divorced three times. Last two times to the same woman. His only daughter, my sister Kim, wouldn't have anything to do with him. He was bankrupt, dirt poor, working at a dead-end job, which required long hours and low pay. And, and uh, he was he drove uh, delivery in Southern California, and and uh, you know if you've ever drive delivery, you don't want to do it in a big city like that. It's, you know, it's, 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 it's frustrating and disappointing. And one day he's on the job, and it was raining real hard. He was in a small truck, and the truck went out of control and slammed against the guardrail about 60 miles an hour. And as a result of that, he broke his back. Over the next two years, my dad went through multiple surgeries. They did something that didn't do it right, had to go back in, fix it, had another problem. I mean, multiple surgeries over the next couple of years. And I added it up. He spent over 14 weeks in the hospital. Not just in recovery. I mean in the hospital during that two-year period of time. Even after all the surgeries, my dad was still in constant pain. uh, Stood like this, couldn't stand straight, and was in pain all the time, especially walking. You know, in my life, to be honest with you, in the 18 years I spent at home, and in the years after that, while I was around saw my dad, I'd seen my dad go through other storms. I mean, I could tell you multiple stories of things that he did that ended up causing problems. He was the source. He was the cause. And I'd seen him go through things like this before, and nothing really changed. In fact, sometimes he just got worse. And everyone around my dad knew that he was his own worst enemy. But it never seemed to get through to him. It never seemed to bring about the change that God wanted to bring about. My dad was a storm causer. In fact, probably a storm chaser would be a better description of him. But this time, with a broken back and a broken life, he finally came to his senses. He finally truly humbled himself and he cried out to God. In the last few years of my dad's life were the best years of his life. It's sad. It's kind of tragic to say that. But it's also encouraging. It's good to know that at least he finished well. Did God, did God cause my dad's accident? No. So don't misunderstand me. My dad caused it. By his choice, by his sin, by his actions, he caused that thing to come upon him. But this time, it got through, and, and I watched my dad over the next five, six years walk with Jesus like I'd never seen him walk with God before. Well, years later, when he was literally on his deathbed, had a little beach apartment right down at Oceanside, right on the Strand, and I, he had cancer, he was dying of cancer, 63 years old, and I visited him quite frequently, and would go down and spend a few days, and, I was on staff at Life Center and they were very generous to me and they let me go and I spent a lot of time down there with my dad over the last couple of months of his life. But literally from my dad's deathbed, I'm not making this up, he grabbed me he said, son, sit down. And he looked me in the eyes and he said, son, I want you to remember this. He said, I I want you to see my life, the, the first part of my life, and let it be a reminder to you of what not to do of how not to live. But son, let the last few years of my life be a reminder to you of obedience and faith, of the goodness and the mercy and the grace of God. I remember sitting on the edge of my dad's bed just weeping. Hearing the love of a father for a son, And the plea, don't go where I went. Live where I am now. In faith, in obedience, in relationship with Jesus. My heart for you today is that you'll see the self-induced storms for what they are. An opportunity. An opportunity to run home. To run to God, not to run from Him. It's my prayer today that you'll return to Him, to His purpose for your life. Because He loves you more than you can possibly imagine. My dad loved me with all his heart. He loved me. And he spoke with tenderness and compassion. And he spoke it with intensity into my heart. And as much as my dad loves me, God loves you. He loves you a hundred times more than that, a thousand times more than that. And I don't know where you're at right now, what's going on in your life, but I do know this, He loves you. And He's got a purpose for you just like He had for Jonah. Don't wait to be thrown overboard into the belly of a fish to figure that out. Would you bow your heads? Would you close your eyes? I'm going to call the band up. I'm going to pray for you. Lord, we are so easily distracted sometimes. Distracted from Your intent, Your purposes for us. Lord, all too often we choose poorly. We turn our hearts away from You and we run the opposite direction. And I pray this morning, Lord Jesus, that if there's someone here in this room right now that's there, that they're in that place, that you would reach into their heart and show them, God, that you're not angry, you're not mad, that the storm is not a punishment, that that has not come into their life to somehow uh, beat them up or to beat them down, but that it is there to draw them to this conclusion that they've been wrong and you've been right. And to remember that you're a good God, faithful and true, kind, merciful and gracious. And that today, Lord, they would return home to you. That today, Lord, they would choose to say yes to you. And God, I also pray that you would just cause right here in this moment grace to fill our hearts, Lord. Not condemnation, not fear. But that we would be overwhelmed by the love of the Father for us. That Papa God, Lord, right now, would just speak to our hearts. of His love. That we would hear those those words. Those tender words. Speak to us, Lord. Change us, we pray. In Jesus. name, Amen. Let's stand together. We're going to finish worship. And then I'm going to come back and uh, give you an opportunity this morning to say yes to God. We'll give as we worship, but let's, let's worship.